Amen. If you will, for a few moments, turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 4. Matthew, the fourth chapter. We'll begin reading with verse number 1. To all of our guests, we say thank you. And uh, we pray that you will find the rich blessings of God upon your life today. Matthew chapter 6, or chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And then we will slip over to chapter 4 of the book of Luke. Matthew chapter 4, I begin with verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And when he had answered and said, It is written, or but he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and sitteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, isn't it amazing that even the devil knows what is written? He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus saith, said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Going over to Luke chapter 4, it is Luke's rendering of this story, and I'm not going to read the whole, the whole passage, but I do want to read verse 1 and 2. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. The word tempted there more closely resembles our word test. He tested him. And in those days, he did eat nothing. And when, when they were ended, he afterward hungered. I want to talk to you for a short time today, and I, I have too much to even consider unloading all of it. I pray God will give me the wisdom to know when to shut up. All right? I want to talk to you about the great temptation. The great temptation. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. 
Sometimes the most important things in life are the little things. More often than we like to admit, on them hinge so many other things that we desire. They become the foundation of so many critical things that we want or seek in life. And in our text, we see just how powerful a little thing like a word can be to affect the outcome of the story. You are familiar, I'm sure, with the text that we've read from. This was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. After having been baptized by John in Jordan, there came a voice from heaven and spoke clearly, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. With that declaration, his identity was sealed. His purpose for being in flesh was revealed. And it's interesting to me that before he did anything else, it was essential that his identity be established. It took precedent over every other thing, the miracles that he would perform, the effectiveness of his ministry and teaching. All of his actions would be connected back to this moment in time, his identity. Before you or I or anyone in life can be effective, you must know who you are. You must know why you're here. And before Jesus ever called a disciple, before he ever performed one miracle, before he ever preached one sermon, his identity had to be established. And then immediately after this encounter and this baptism, the Bible said that he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he was alone, he was fasting, no doubt he was praying, but he was also being tested. He was being tempted. Read it again and read it carefully. After 40 days of fasting, the scripture says that he was hungry. What an understatement. I cannot even imagine how hungry a man would be after a 40-day fast. But he was hungry. And it was in that moment of hunger that Satan came to him, the devil, the accuser, and began to speak. It is revelatory to me that two out of the three temptations that are mentioned here 
were specific attacks against his identity. If thou be, if thou be. Notice it is not an outright denial, but just the subtle suggestion of doubt. The question that Satan leveled against him in that moment was against his identity, who he was, whom the Spirit had declared him to be and what he had come to do and the question even about his baptism because if he can cause you to doubt that, if he can plant in your mind a question about who you are or who God has called you to be. He has essentially neutralized you and he has put you to the side and marginalized your life because if you don't know who you are, you're never going to fulfill any kind of worthwhile purpose. You see, the devil is always putting an if on what God has declared concerning you and I. And if he can ever get into your mind and he can ever get into your spirit and begin to plant there the doubt or the wondering, then he has essentially removed you from being a threat to his kingdom and he wants to write on every promise that God has made over our life if he would like to write if over every word that is written in this book because if he can ever get you to question it, if he can ever get you to doubt it, he can get you to eat what you're not supposed to eat. You see, the most important question and the greatest temptation in life is that temptation to doubt what God has declared concerning your life. And though some of you may look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about, there are others here today that understand full well the attack that hell has leveled against your life, assaulting and coming against everything that God has spoken to you, every promise God has given you, every word that has been declared over your life because it hasn't come to pass. Or look where you are right now. Look at your circumstances in life. He can get you to question what God has said. He has effectively taken you off the market of being a threat to his kingdom. And if he would do it on the Christ, don't think he won't try it on you. Amen. You see, the lure of Satan was to question. And in questioning, provoke Jesus or even you to question who you are. Because if you, if you get confused about who you are, if you have no idea what God has said about you, or if you buy into the lies that life has a way of bringing to, and they come so subtly, they're not outright denials, they're just the suggestion of doubt. 
but it is that subtle suggestion of doubt that puts in your mind the question of whether or not any of this is really true. And there are people sitting on these pews right now that even question the validity of this because somewhere in your life something didn't come to pass like somebody said it should have or prophesied over you. And so the devil comes behind that and he starts putting in your mind or planting in your thought, if he can, the suggestion that maybe... Maybe what was said really wasn't meant. He is always putting an if on what God has said about us. Are you a child of God with all these problems? Are are you a child of God with all of these issues in your life? Are you a child of God with all of these complexes and all of these little idiosyncrasies that mess up your life? How can you be a son of God with all this junk in your life? You see, his poisoned arrows will attack your mind and your soul with the subtle suggestion that God's love might appeal and apply to somebody next to you, but it doesn't really apply to you because nobody knows your failure. Nobody knows your sin. Nobody knows where you're at. And so he plants that subtle suggestion. He wants to write on every promise in this book, if, if. You see, the attack of an if takes the truth that God has given to us to base our life on and makes it appear to be unstable sand. That when he is able to suggest to us that we may not be who God said we are, then the foundation upon which we try to build our life is compromised. And not only that, but when we buy into that lie, when we embrace that subtle suggestion of if in our life, then we are lured to compromise our living to prove what we don't need to prove. It's already been proven at Calvary. Amen. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise right now. I am so thankful that when Jesus encountered this, he responded with the truth of the word, not with his feelings. Now, after 40 days of fasting, I get weak thinking about it. I know what I feel like after a four or five day fast or maybe even pushing it to seven. I cannot imagine how his emotions and feelings that he was man. He was God man, but he was still man. There was a flesh that was feeling the effects of this 40 days without 
food and with perhaps without water. And in that moment of weakness, there is this subtle suggestion that maybe, maybe what was, maybe that was just an illusion. Maybe you dreamed that. And so he calls into question. But I am thankful that when he responded to this accusation or this subtle suggestion, he didn't respond with his feelings because your feelings can get you in trouble. You say, well, I don't feel like this. I feel like this. But God said, no, you're this. Your feelings. God created you to be who you are. Amen. Amen. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise right now. When you aren't sure, it's always a wise thing to go back to the Word. Bypass your feelings. Bypass your emotions because both of them will lie to you. Both of them will tell you things that are not true. Both of them will deceive you. Both of them will condemn you. Both of them will convince you that you're just a sorry piece of trash. You're just a big mistake. You can't do anything right. And yet scripture declares that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now the culture that you live in will tell you that you're addicted and you are you you have a sickness and you can never break that sickness. But the word of God declares that you can break that that it's not a sickness that you cannot have deliverance or healing from, but your circumstances will identify you as being this or that, a drug addict or an alcoholic or whatever else we want to label somebody with to, to, to undermine what God has declared that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God didn't make a mistake when he created you. You may be in a mess right now, but God did not create you a mess. He did not create you to be a mess in life. And the only way you're going to get out of that mess is get back to what the Word has to say. And begin to declare that over your thoughts, over your feelings, over your emotions, over your circumstances. I mean, if you are the Son of God, look at your circumstances. There are no followers. You're all alone out here. What makes you think, what makes you feel, you better be careful about all you're thinking because everything you think is not right. And let me say something else. Just because you think it doesn't mean you need to speak it. I'm going to give you some advice this morning, married couples. If you'll stop ratting and raving about all the things you don't like about your spouse and start speaking what you want into their life, they're going to live into what you say about them. They're not going to live into what you condemn them for not being. If you want a better wife, start speaking that over your wife. Start speaking those things into your wife. Start declaring what she is, not what you don't like about what she is. 
Oh, hallelujah. That was free. You didn't have to give an offering for that one. People are going to live into what you say about them for the most part, especially those that are connected to you in that intimate level of relationship. And if there's something about your spouse that's irritating you, get over the irritation and start speaking the things that you desire to see. You know what, honey? I am so thankful you're faithful. I'm so thankful that you care for me. I am so grateful you love me. I, I, and you said, brother, I don't feel that way. I'm just telling you your feelings are lying to you right now. Oh, yeah, come on. I can shout about that. You might not be able to, but I can. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on, quit buying into the lie that you're never going to have a happy home. You're never going to have a happy marriage. You're never going to have a happy relationship. If some of you men would quit criticizing your wife and start speaking the things that are true about her, you would have a new wife. Oh, goodness. The great temptation. That's not even in my notes. So why is this identity stuff so important? Because everything that Jesus did or would do flowed out of his identity. Every miracle, every wonder, every healing, every message found its root source in who he was. And if the devil can ever get an if into your mind about what God has declared about you or concerning you, then you will have no ministry. You will have no effectiveness in your life because everything you do and say flows out of who you are. Oh, that's a revelation. Maybe it's not your spouse that's the problem. I don't know why I'm doing this today, but I just feel like I need to camp here for a moment. Maybe the problem, now if you don't have a spouse, don't worry about it. Even if you don't have a spouse, you need to point right here and say, you know what? This is the guy that needs to be fixed. This is the person that needs to be right. This is the one that needs to make sure I get my, my vision proper. Amen. Ooh, you may not come back anymore after this. His authority in life was connected to his identity. The reason we sometimes live ineffectively has nothing to do with whether or not the Holy Ghost is real or it's just emotion or it's hocus pocus or it's a wish and a hope. 
But when I do not know who I am and I am confused about my identity, then the authority that comes with that identity is taken away from me and I cannot live effectively. I cannot be an overcomer when I'm wondering what I have had to overcome. I cannot be a victory, a victorious person when I do not even know that I've had to fight a battle to get there. You see, your authority in life is connected to who you are. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray in my name. Why? Because you don't have the authority to do anything. But all power is given unto me. Amen. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you an ambassador of my name so that when you speak my name, you're not declaring your ability. You're not declaring your power. You're not declaring you. You are declaring me over your problem. That's why it's so important when you pray to pray in the name of Jesus, by the authority of the name of Jesus. Why? Because when the devil looks at me, he laughs. But when he hears the name of Jesus, he shakes because there is no power that can destroy him like the power of the name of Jesus. Come on, you need to say it over your family right now. In the name of Jesus, I declare the name of Jesus. I stand in the name of Jesus. I'm here in the name of Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Woo. Praise God. Knowing who you are is the key to your success or failure in life conclusions that we make about our lives become the lens through which we view life. And if we have a skewed view of ourselves, then we have a foggy lens to look at life through. The conclusions you make, these beliefs that we embrace about our identity, true or false, they influence our thoughts, they influence our emotions, they impact my approach to life, they impact the opportunities that come to me and how I appropriate them. Even when God gives me an opportunity, if I have a messed up view of who I am, I'm going to say, well, I'm not worthy of that. God must have put that at the wrong house. Forgiveness at my door? Oh, no. But when I have this skewed view of myself and when I have embraced this if and when I don't really know, I'm not sure, then the opportunities that God sent to me are squandered and wasted because I feel like I don't deserve them. I feel like I'm unworthy of them. I feel like if I, ha if I do it, I'll mess this one up. Am I preaching to anybody here this morning? When you embrace an identity, whether it's true or false, it will fuel your actions and it will drive your attitude. And they will clarify or confuse 
your worth, your significance. I'm just a loser. I never can get anything right. Look at me. I'm a four-time failure. I'm a six-time failure. Look at me. I'm right back in the same rut I was last week or month before last. You know the only difference between a rut and a grave? A rut has both ends kicked out of it so that you can get out of it if you want to. And wherever you are this morning, whatever rut life has got you stuck in, whatever lie you have embraced that has questioned who you are or made you wonder, does God love you or does he care about you? I'm here to tell you that it is a lie and you need to get back to this book because this book has a lot to say about who you are and who I am. It has a lot to say about my future. It has a lot to say about what God thinks about me. And I've learned this much about life. What God thinks about me is a whole lot more important than what you might think about me or what my culture might think about me. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. 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 I want you to notice two things. I noticed this when I was looking at this last night. The first time that Satan is mentioned in reference to the question, he is called the tempter. The Greek for word, that word tempter means a scrutinizer a tester, an enticer to assay something. So when he comes to us, he is so subtle. I mean, he doesn't just slap you upside the face and say, hey, loser. Hey, jerk. He comes in and he's, well, you know, from my perspective, I mean, from my point of view, he wasted his time on you. I hadn't seen anything good. You failed to every trick I've ever thrown at you. And so he scrutinizes. He just starts pulling that one thread. You know, you, you don't just cut a hole in it. You just get that one thread. and You can start pulling on it. And it can unravel the whole garment. The second time he comes, he is identified as the devil. The devil is the accuser. Now he's stepped up his game. If he can't get you by pulling on the thread, he's going to get in your face. He's going to throw up every failure, every mistake, every shortcoming. Every time you've tried and failed, he's going to bring back all that he can of all that because he never gets rid of skeletons. He never gets rid of all of that. He hangs on to it because that's all he's got. He has no future, church. Do you understand why the devil lives in your past? Because that's the only thing he's got to live for. He has no future. His future is condemned. He is condemned right now. And so the only thing that he has to have any worth is there where you were, where you came from. And he's still stuck back there. And God's mercy has moved you up here and said, oh, he's past that. My grace has covered that. My mercy has taken care of. My love has, in, it has, has enclosed that. I have forgiven him. Oh, my. my. 
You see, he comes as the slanderer now, the disparager, the defamer. If he can't get you to doubt, he will resort to accusation. Amen. And the devil said, and the tempter said, folks, you need to be careful who you let speak into your life. You need to be careful what you let speak into your life. Amen. Who you are matters. I want you to say that with me. Who I am matters. And that's what the devil is after. The great temptation is not for you to throw away the love of God or to throw away the mercy of God or to backslide. The great temptation is for you to allow anything to creep into, creep into your mind or your thoughts that would make you wonder, did God really mean that? Did God really mean that for me? Did God really say, did he really say that concerning my life? What we believe about God and about ourselves are two of the most fundamental and foundational beliefs in our life that will affect us for good or bad. And if these ever stray from the truth, if we ever embrace the if, we fall into confusion. Amen. We become distorted in our view of life and it will wreak havoc on our life. When we frame our lives around these false ideas, when we become confused about who we are, we have essentially made his job easy. You see, people who embrace a lie about their identity will constantly struggle with confusion and inconsistency. I want to say that again. People who embrace a lie about their identity will constantly struggle with confusion and inconsistency. I mean, it was the question that was leveled by Goliath. Send me a man and let us fight together. And if he prevails, we will serve you. It's the question that's being thrown at some of you right now. If you are able. If you can do that. Amen. What are the things that try to define us that are not always true? I said one while ago, feelings. Everybody say feelings. Feelings are powerful communicators and they are able to have great influence over us. Matter of fact, they have greater influence on us than we even like to admit. Amen. We didn't worship because we didn't feel like it. Hmm. And the trouble with feelings is that they are unreliable sources of information because all I have to do for my feelings to change is win the lottery. I shout all over the church. I talk in tongues in front of everybody. 
Now, I know you're not supposed to be playing the lottery. I just had to say something funny so you'd smile. Some of you look like you're about to die. I didn't mean to preach this. <clears throat> it's difficult to message. Feelings, they are unreliable sources of information. Don't let your life be run by your feelings because feelings will deceive you. Number two, your thoughts. Don't believe everything that you think because I've had some crazy thoughts go through my mind. I know you had never had that. But I have been at the very altar of God on my knees praying as diligently as I could pray and some bizarre thought come flying through my mind. I'm thinking, where in the world did God have mercy? Oh, Lord, please, don't even, don't even hold me again. Don't hold that to my account. Now, oh, some of you just, some of us, need, we need to get real this morning. Does that thought being in my mind make it so? Then why are we more often than not prone to believe our thoughts when we know that they're not always trustworthy? So what do I do with my thoughts? First of all, just remember it's a thought. Number two, take that thought, put it next to these thoughts. You see, here's the thing you and I have to remember. God was my designer. He's the one that created me. He's the one that thought me up, like it or not. God's got a great sense of humor too. Amen. There's nobody like you in this world. There may be people that look similar to you, but they nobody like you. Nobody has your imprint. Nobody has your fingerprint. Nobody has your voice print. Nobody has your soul print. God, only God, he did that. That's amazing that God's so powerful that he can make all of these people in our world and everybody's different. There's not a duplicate anywhere in the world. Some of you say, well, I don't believe that. I, I'll tell you how you can believe it. They're trying to make a man. They're trying to create something out of a cell and they can't do it because they don't have the power to give the identity that's needed to make them an individual. They may make a clone, but it's still a clone. They can't make an original. So God is my designer. If God is my designer, then God should also be my definer. Okay. With that being said, what does God say about me? Well, I don't have time to go through the book. I'm running out of time right now. But I am going to stop. But go, go get your Bible. They're going to... Put up Psalms 139 for me. Psalms 139. O oh Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. The word know, same word that's used in Genesis that spoke about the relationship that Adam had with Eve. He knew his wife. God knows me. Next verse. Thou hast, uh-oh, thou hast known my downsetting. You've known my failures. You've known my missteps. And you've known mine up, or you've known my good things, my, my, my promising. Oh, 
Thou understandest my thought afar off. Next verse. Thou compasseth my path. How do you compass somebody? Come here, brother. Now, if I'm here, I'm just here. The only way I can compass him is to be able to duplicate myself all the way around him. And that's what God essentially is saying to me. I'm not just in front of you. I'm not just behind you. I'm not just to your side. Amen. But I, I, have, I have you covered. It doesn't matter which way you turn. I'm there. Are you, you encompass my path, my lying down. When I get tired and I go to bed, you think nobody knows. Nobody knows. And we lay on our bed at night and we say, nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody knows what I'm feeling. Nobody knows what I've dealt with tonight. God said, hey, whoa, 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 wake up. I'm there. I watch you when you lay down and I am acquainted with all, all, all your ways. We don't even want to go there. Give me the next verse. For there is not even a word in my mouth, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Next verse. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Next verse. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot even fathom. God is my designer. So I need to let him be my definer. Not my circumstances. Not what Facebook has to say about me. Not what my family has to say about me. Not even what friends may have said about me. I don't even need to let my failures tell me who I am. Because I may have failed, but I'm not a failure. By the grace of God, I am what I am today, and His grace is sufficient to cover all of my failures. And so when I have failed, I have an advocate with the Father, and I can come and I can seek forgiveness, and He is faithful and just to forgive me. He is faithful and just to forgive me. Come on, stand to your feet. Amen. You and I need to let God define us. Amen. You know what? Some of us need a renewing of our mind today. We need a renewing of our thoughts. We need a restoration in our soul. We need God to fill our hearts with his spirit and his presence and give us his mind. Acts 17, 28 said, in him, in him, this is how you live in Him. We live and we move and we have our being. <laughs> this is what God wants you to do. 
2 Corinthians 4 and 6, For God hath said, Let light shine out of darkness. And he has shown in our hearts this light to give light, to give the light of the knowledge of God. What God wants you to understand is not what you think about yourself, but what he thinks about you. What God wants you to understand is that it doesn't matter what others say. What's more important is what the knowledge of God says about your life. The knowledge of God's glory. And he revealed it in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Does God love me? Absolutely. How do I know that? Because he wrapped himself in flesh and came and dwelt among us. That he could break down a middle wall of partition that divided us. And to erase the if. To erase the if. There are no ifs when it comes to his love for me. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith God. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. I wrote these things down before I went to bed last night but there are some of us here today that are doubting who we are some of us are doubting what God has done in our life some of us are doubting our calling some are doubting his promises concerning us some are doubting whether God even loves you anymore some are doubting whether God has even forgiven you I don't feel forgiven well, you are if you've asked for it. You don't have to feel always, but you can know. Hereby perceive we the love of God and that he laid down his life for us. Amen. The great temptation today is for you to doubt who God says you are and to question what God has said about you. Cause you to live in confusion and doubt, fear, worry. You know what? You just need to step out today and say, you know what? On the authority of the Word of God, I live this life. I live by faith. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of God. God, I want to thank you for what you've said about me. I want to thank you for what you've declared concerning my life. That there is no sin that's too great. There is no failure that's too, 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 too great. There is no sin that is too ugly for your blood to cover and to cleanse. There is no Words that have been spoken over my life that have the power to hold me when I embrace your word, God. When I embrace your love. When I embrace your mercy. My family may have called me something in my past and I've, 
I'm stuck with it. I still have it lingering in my mind. I'm a failure. I'm a, I'm a mistake. I'm a doubter. Oh, God, help me today. Help me today. Lord, I pray right now that you would touch somebody in this building. I, I hope that I haven't been too much of an obstacle for your word to get to the heart of men today. I pray, God, right now that your spirit would so impress the soul that someone who's standing here right now that has embraced some untruth about themselves and about who they are and, and they're doubting their ability and they're questioning whether or not all of this is real, that you will step right now into their life, Lord, that you will come very near at this moment and you will just embrace them with your love and mercy and draw them in. Remind them, Lord, oh, I died for you. I died for you. I love you. I suffered for you. I had stripes laid upon my back for you. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, somebody in this place today, would you just respond to the embrace of the Holy Ghost that I feel in this place right now and just let him wrap his arms around you and draw you close and say, oh Lord, how, how faithful you are. How wonderful you are, God. How merciful you are, oh God. Help me, God. Oh, Lord, I pray that your word would be so established in my mind and in my spirit that I would not doubt. Oh, God, I am forgiven. I am redeemed. I am loved. I am healed.